This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. And what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, we're going to go a little bit Bodies of Horror classic. We have had a super fantastic run of guests, and we're going to go back to a solo episode, maybe one that's going to be on the shorter end, and I want to talk about The Babadook. That's right, 2014's The Babadook, directed by Jennifer Kent. This is her feature film debut. Uh, She had directed the short Monster, which this is based on uh, prior, and starring Essie Davis and Noah Weissman. So there's been a lot of conversation about this film, and I think most of the conversations I've seen have really been focused in on talking about the film from a place of Amelia's character and grief depression, parenthood, um, all of these things. But I really want to focus in on the character of Samuel, the son, and we'll dig into that in just a moment. So let's get to it. Let's talk about the Babadook. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, You can't get rid of the Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? Who sees things as they are, that one? I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioural problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. Stalking me and my child. You can't get rid of the pepper dog. You can
right, let's get into our plot synopsis, courtesy, as always, from our friends at Wikipedia. Amelia is a troubled and exhausted widow living in Adelaide, who has brought up her six-year-old son, Samuel, alone. Her late husband, Oscar, was killed in a car accident when he drove Amelia to the hospital during labor. Sam begins displaying erratic behavior. He becomes an insomniac and is preoccupied with an imaginary monster, which he has built weapons to fight. Amelia is forced to pick him up from school when he takes one of the weapons to school. One night, he asks his mother to read a pop-up story uh, called Mr. Babadook. It describes the titular monster, the Babadook, a tall, pale-faced humanoid in a top hat with, a tal- with taloned fingers which torments its victims after they become aware of its existence. Amelia is disturbed by the book and its mysterious appearance, while Sam becomes convinced that the Babadook is real. Sam's persistence about the Babadook leads Amelia to have sleepless nights as she tries to comfort him. Soon after, strange events occur. Doors mysteriously open and close, there are strange sounds, and Amelia finds glass shards in her food. She attributes the events to Sam's behavior, but he blames the Babadook. Amelia rips up the book and disposes of it. At her birthday party, uh, Sam's cousin Ruby bullies Sam for not having a father, and he pushes her out of the treehouse, breaking her nose. Amelia's sister Claire admits she cannot bear Sam, to which Amelia takes great offense. On the drive home, Sam has another vision of the Babadook and suffers a seizure. Amelia gets some sedatives from a pediatrician who treats him. The next morning, Amelia finds the Mr. Babadook book reassembled on the front step. New words in it taunt her, saying the Babadook will become stronger if she continues to deny its existence. And it now contains pop-ups of her killing her dog Bugsy, Sam, and then herself. Terrified, she burns the book and runs to the police station after a disturbing phone call. However, she has no proof of the stalking, and when she sees the Babadook's suit hung up behind the front desk, she leaves. That night, as she tries to fall asleep, she sees the Babadook open her bedroom door, crawl up the ceiling, and attack her. She then turns on all the lights in the house and falls asleep with Sam downstairs. After the attack, Amelia becomes more isolated and impatient, shouts at Sam for disobeying her constantly, and has more visions of the Babadook. She exhibits erratic and violent behavior, including cutting the phone line with a knife, then waving the same knife aggressively at Sam. She has disturbing hallucinations in which she sees herself murdering Sam. Amelia sees an apparition of Oscar, who offers to return to her if she brings the boy to him. Realizing he is a creation of the Babadook, she flees and the Babadook stalks her through the house 
until it finally possesses her. Under its influence, she breaks Bugsy's neck and attempts to kill Sam. Eventually, luring her into the basement, Sam knocks her out. Tied up, Amelia awakens with Sam, terrified, nearby. When she struggles, when she tries to strangle him, he lovingly caresses her face, causing her to regurgitate an inky black substance, which seemingly expels the Babadook. However, Sam reminds Amelia that you can't get rid of the Babadook, and an unforeseen force drags him backwards into Amelia's bedroom. She saves Sam, but is forced to see a vision of her husband's death. Furious, she confronts the Babadook, making it retreat into the basement, and she locks the door behind it. Eventually, Amelia and Sam manage to recover. She is attentive and caring towards him, and encouraging him with building his weapons and being impressed with his magic tricks. In the garden, they gather worms and a bowl. Amelia takes it to the basement and places it on the floor. The Babadook tries to attack her, but she soothes it, and it retreats to the corner, taking the bowl of worms with it. She returns to the yard to celebrate Sam's birthday. So let's talk about some general thoughts around the Babadook. So it came out in 2014, which is really when conversations around elevated horror were starting to really take hold. And we all have our own thoughts and feelings about it. But, you know, I can kind of look at the Babadook as being very similar to, say, Hereditary uh, a handful of years later. Um, you know, same kind of conversations, film, using the horror genre to explore parenthood and grief and et cetera, et cetera, because horror films had never done anything like that prior, apparently. So, but this film had quite a bit of buzz and still has a very high ranking on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I want to say it's in the 90s. I just looked at it, um, but I think high 90s. And so it was a film that really built by word of mouth and had an incredible performance by S.E. Davis who plays Amelia, and it was Jennifer Kent's first feature film. She had uh, written and directed the short Monster prior, which is, uh, which kind of served as the basis for The Babadook, and there were lots of conversations that were starting to come out about now, let's talk about this film as it's examining parenthood, grief, maternity, and the difficult and challenging conversations that we don't have around those specific topics, especially being a single parent. I mean, stuff is still coming out today. I know that not too long ago, I want to say in 2021, psychoanalysis, RIP, 
not currently doing new episodes, sadly, but um, you can go back and listen to the archive. Talked about psychoanalysis here. Great podcast looking at horror films through a very, I think, specific lens of mental health, mental health conditions, and talking about various treatments. It's very in-depth, very great. Um, but they did an episode on the Babadook in 2021. Chances are, if you listen to a number of different horror podcasts, a number of them have probably done an episode on the Babadook. And a lot of the conversations probably around parenthood, maternity, single parenthood, grief, trauma, and trying to raise a child by yourself while you're in that place of recovery. This was definitely a movie night watch with groups of friends, and it always, you know, played extremely well. It had enough kind of scares for the people that were just kind of, you know, there for the socialization, not necessarily paying super attention to the film, but just kind of wanted to have a good time. And for people who were really super focused on the film, maybe it was their first time seeing it, um, you know, they would get really into it. So it's a great film in that regard as well. I've seen it a few times and really like it. I think it's a really well-crafted story, and I love the way that the, uh, especially the character of Amelia, develops. You really get to see a pretty intense journey with the character, and I think that there's something really rewarding at the end. Um, You know, it's, lots of films have an end that's you know, a, a good ending, a positive ending, a happy ending. But we really feel that earned because we've seen Amelia go through it. And again, Essie's performance is truly top tier. The center of the film is obviously Amelia. And... Amelia's son, Samuel, however, has not gotten necessarily that same shake, and very little has been said about him and kind of his issues uh, outside of, you know, a meme highlighting how he is annoying and, you know, the shot of Amelia's in the car, Samuel in the back, you know, why can't you be normal? I'll (laughs) talk about that in just a moment. But there's been a lot less discussed about him, and so I wanted to talk about him for a bit. There's a couple of also some pieces that I will reference um, and also link in the show notes that do really hone in on Samuel. And this was really one of the things where that I I kind of felt 
pulled and invigorated to do this episode. I also just had a conversation with someone talking about the Babadook. I mentioned Samuel and had this whole conversation. And so I was like, you know what? This is where we're going to go. So going back to our plot, early on in the film, things seem fairly normal. Um, but we start to see changes in Samuel specifically. He becomes kind of uh, a little bit more listless, uh, easily agitated. He's unable to sleep and talks about being fearful and how there's something in the house. Now, we don't really know if this has been kind of marked behavior that Samuel has displayed for an extended period of time and it's just getting to a place of kind of ratcheting up. It's really hard to say because the film kind of plays both lanes. And one is that, you know, Samuel has always had some underlying behavioral issues and has caused, you know, undue stress for Amelia as a parent. It has caused distance from her family and from others. It's made it impossible for her to, you know, get back into uh, perhaps a normal cadence of life, dating again, and um, you know, starting to get out, um, and experience different things. We don't get it explicitly laid out, but it's there that perhaps these are things that have always been there, but again, starting to really develop much more intensely. So we see it all kind of come to a head. As Samuel becomes more and more upset about what's happening, no one is really asking him what's going on. No one really seems that intent on taking care of him. Instead, he's just looked at as a nuisance, as a disturbance. And I think that just probably makes everything seem a lot worse. Now, this isn't to say that Amelia doesn't care about her son and she isn't doing the best. She absolutely is. And I think she really does care about what's happening. But she's taxed. She's tired. She's doing this all on her own. And she doesn't really have a great support system, as we see from her sister and others. I mean, outside of the neighbor, Mrs. Roach, there's not really people around that she can rely on. So I, it's kind of a, a really shitty situation for, for everyone. This kid needs help. The mom's not really in a position that she's able to get it because she's starting to kind of go through her own crisis too that's kind of come to a head. So, <laughs> but again, no one is really prioritizing like what exactly is going on with Samuel. They're just kind of 
pushing it off like he's being Samuel. He's being annoying. As the film progresses, Amelia just keeps screaming about how Samuel is getting more and more disobedient. And that's because she's trying to kill him. But of course, this isn't stated. So again, it becomes the kid's problem where, hey, because you exist, because I'm a single parent, because you may have some additional health issues, behavioral issues that we have to manage and work through, you are a bigger burden to me. You've worn me out. I'm at my wit's end, and it's really all of your fault. I think the film does, again, like I said, kind of go into two different lanes here because I don't think it's necessarily just putting it all on Samuel. I think that is saying that Amelia has a bunch of unresolved issues that she hasn't worked through that are really paramount here. But we always still keep the blame of Samuel being the cause of all of this disturbance there. He's the one that picks the Mr. Babadook book off the shelf when it's bedtime and she's reading him a story. I talked a little bit about my experience growing up. My mom was a single mom and worked incredibly hard to take care of me and my sister and that meant making sure I went to all of my medical appointments and just all of the bits and bobs that go along with that and it is one of the things that it that you don't realize until you get older that kind of becomes locked inside you from a very young age. And that's that there's this message that gets conveyed that you, specifically, uh, a disabled child, a child with any kind of significant uh, health care or behavioral health care uh, need, is a particular burden, stress, on your parent and it is something that you never really unpack and this is something that we see Samuel dealing with he's trying to protect himself protect his mom and and just try to get a sense of what the hell's going on. The kid is absolutely terrified, especially in kind of that later portion of the film where shit is really going down in the house. He's petrified. Like his mom is possessed and he's trying to kill him. And he has to find strength to take control of a situation and he's six 
He's mistreated by really everyone at some juncture in the film outside of Mrs. Roach, who just seems to be kind of that compassionate, nice old lady neighbor that, <laughs> you know, loves the company, loves helping out, and she and Samuel seem to have good vibes. And she is the one that really does seem to focus in on him and how he's doing, you know. Oh, early on in the film when Samuel starts, you know, having uh, insomnia and really, I think, things start escalating. She's like, oh, you look so tired. And, you know, she's concerned about him. And she's concerned about Amelia, too. But she genuinely <laughs> seems to care for him. Where, you know, his family... It's just more like we don't want him around. He's annoying. <sighs> there are a couple of scenes where Amelia is having conversations with her sister, Claire, and they have kids that are roughly about the same age. They had been having birthday parties together, and, you know, they're six years old, they're probably getting to an age where they want different things from their party. The girl said that she wants a pretty princess party. And so, we don't know if that's <laughs> necessarily true or if it's just an excuse so that they don't have to share the party with Samuel. But it kind of makes sense. This happens with kids. You see this with siblings a lot, too. Siblings that may be super, super close in age, maybe share, um, a, you know, a birthday maybe a year or two apart, something like that, cousins, whatever. Kids that are close in age that maybe share parties. At some point, they start to have different interests. And... Instead of that really being the conversation of like, yeah, he's really into magic. And so he wanted to have a magic party and she wanted to have, a, you know, this kind of party. So we're going to have different parties this year. It becomes a thing of like, well, but Samuel's just really annoying and we don't really even want him here. But of course, we can't say that <laughs> he's family and he has to be here because that's just rude. So... We just don't want to have a shared party. The way that it's said is that you could have just said, you know, this year, she's getting a little bit older. She wants to have this kind of party. So we were thinking of maybe doing separate parties this year. And that could have been absolutely fine and something understandable. But it's presented in that, well, this is a Samuel issue because Samuel is weird and we don't like him. Then, I also always love the scenes in films like this where they show, you know, these kids fighting each other or, you know, a kid bullying each other, yeah, a kid bullying another kid. And I, I feel like they completely sometimes miss different interpretations or reads of a, of a moment. So the his cousin, the little girl, 
is making fun of him and really going at him because he doesn't have a dad and saying some really cool things. And <laughs> Samuel is really hurt, but he does act out. Samuel seems pretty kind of downtrodden and beaten down in this moment. Um, but he does retaliate and it's the way that it's framed and, and I don't know, conveyed. It's more like, oh, he's, you know, he's kind of snapped in some way. And that's not necessarily, I think, what is an honest conveyance of that moment. His cousin had said absolutely vile things to him. And add on to that, you know, the things that the adults are saying and probably have been saying for some time, you know, in hushed tones and whispers that they don't think that Samuel can hear. But trust me, I'm sure Samuel has heard a lot more than what you think. Um, those things kind of sit with you. And again, it gets to this idea of, you know, setting this foundation of you are a burden. If you are a child with a disability, no one likes you. You're a burden. You're strange. You're an outcast. And that's just the way it is. People are just going to have to put up with you as much as possible. It's hurtful, it's really sad, can have a lifelong impact, and it just messes with you in ways that are, I, I don't think that you're necessarily aware of. Simply by extension of existing and being different, Samuel is a problem, and he has been a problem apparently since birth because he came out of a very tragic situation. His father died while taking his mom to the hospital to have him. And so it seems very much like one life for another. And look at the life that we got. This life has caused me a lot of grief and hardship. These are things that I can really relate to from my personal experience because there's still feelings that I wrestle with in my 40s, being a disabled kid of a single parent and struggling with the fact that I know how much my mom had to work, struggle, and sacrifice to make ends meet and provide for both my sister and I. And I know that because I had significant health care needs, those demands were much more daunting for her. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with as you start to kind of understand that as a kid, you know, comments are made and they start to kind of stick to you and things that you then begin to internalize in different ways as you get older. So uh, just, I don't know, I, I find kind of the, the dynamic of the characters, Familia and Samuel, 
interesting. They do have a very loving relationship, but you can see that it's also pretty fraught, which, you know, that can be any kind of parent in child dynamic. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's something that really has resonated with me since I think the first time I've seen it, but especially the more that I've watched it, it's something that I really hone in on. Again, we don't really have any specifics about a diagnosis that Samuel may have, really specific issues that he may be dealing with, um, but uh, there is a reference at the end uh, of the film, kind of when things have calmed down and they're being visited, I guess, by, you know, uh, the Australian form of the Child Protective Services. And she talks about how Samuel has found now a new school that should be a lot more beneficial to him. And I assume that it's probably one that has a lot more one-on-one -on -one assistance and care that they can provide to students who may need some additional supports. So again, I, I think that this might speak to this, something that had been going on for much longer, but you know, usually it is around school age where some of these things do start to present because it's simply part of the setting that they're, they're in now. So, um, I don't know. I find all of that kind of interesting to where we're starting to see a shift from where no one really seemed to care about, you know, how Samuel was dealing with everything that was happening. You know, he was freaking out and he was being an annoyance and a disturbance <laughs> and causing disruption to everyone else. But no one was really checking on him uh, to where now you're starting to see, oh, yeah, we want to make sure that he's he is getting, you know, different levels of care. So uh, I, I found that interesting. So to wrap things up, kind of, I, I want to just take a minute or two to talk about, in my mind, how I kind of link Samuel and Franklin. That's right, Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre is very misunderstood. I've talked about this in past episodes. I've talked about it over at the Pod and the Pendulum, talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But all in all, I think that Franklin is just a very misunderstood character. A lot of people write him off as being aggravating, annoying, and just kind of a shitty character altogether when I don't see it that way at all. Franklin, just like Samuel, is someone who is reliant on family for support, for protection, and acts out, I think, in ways that you could argue are logical, reasonable, 
um, when they feel like they're not getting that protection, when they're not getting that support. In the same way that we've talked about Samuel being seen as a burden to his mom, Amelia, a lot of people view Franklin in that exact same light. They see him being a burden to uh, the group because they have to wheel him around. They have to stop so that he can use uh, the restroom on the side of the road. It's instead of actually thinking about not just those scenarios, but how Franklin feels in that situation. A lot of people are happy when Franklin gets the chainsaw to the gut and is no more. And a lot of people think that Samuel should just be taken by the Babadook or whatever because he's annoying. I don't see it that way. And I don't know. I think that there's some really interesting things to sift out from that that maybe do have tenets of ableism and stuff to unpack. So, I don't know. Um, that's Those are just kind of my rambling thoughts on the Babadook and Samuel. I really wanted to talk about this movie because, like I said, I just had a conversation about it and was like, yeah, this is... This is fresh in my mind. I just watched this. I'm going to do it. So uh, I'm glad that we could uh, have a, a bit of a return to form to talk about this one. And, you know, always feel free to let me know what your thoughts are, um, especially around the character of Samuel, because I don't see a lot of people talking about him. And I think he's really interesting and kind of a cool kid. Uh, I love at the end that he kind of becomes high-key great at magic. His trick with the bird is pretty fantastic and really cute. So, um, yeah, we just like we love us a little bit of Franklin around this place. We also do love Samuel and hope that he is striving and thriving. So that will do it for this episode. Thank you so, so much as always for listening. Thank you so much to the home and heart of Body of Horror, Anatomy of a Scream. So, so happy to be a member of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. If you want to reach out, say hey, let me know your thoughts on uh, Samuel. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter, X, Twixt, at bodieshorror or at bluesky at bodiesofhorror. And all that is going to be linked in the show notes. I'm also going to link a couple of articles that I read uh, in kind of prep for this um, that I think are really interesting. And one I was really moved by, it was written by a parent. 
is a great piece from the perspective of a parent with a child that has some behavioral issues and that experience and her particular relation to the film. And I really, really found it quite powerful. So I'm going to link that and I hope that you will certainly give that a read. So with all of that said, until next time. Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.